computer. There we go. That's the question. Here we go. Oh, how wonderful. Okay, friends. Well, we're going to get into this. I know last week we were talking about Israel and and, and the, the title was The People because I've been talking about the land and all kind of other stuff. So we're talking about the people and yeah, there's stuff all over the place, <laughs> like screens everywhere. Um, so I know that, you know, last week I was, or two weeks ago, going through, there are a lot of angles and, and I wasn't talking specifically about uh, like there's replacement theology. I didn't go in depth on that. And like, so tonight, if people want to get into that, we can. I still was, I was kind of, I think I was in the mid, midstream of just going through the history of Israel in a very broad stroke. Uh, that's what I recall. Broad strokes and specifically looking at how there's this, there's this battle, not just the battle of the seed, but it also manifests in, in like this war on God's people. And and specifically what I was talking about was God's people as in Israel, the nation of Israel, and particularly we're looking at it from the Old Testament perspective. I think maybe we ended, I don't know if we got to the point where uh, the Jews have been expelled by 70 AD. I don't know if I quite reached that point. So I'll kind of pick up there. And then there were also some good questions, questions that, came in, yeah. that came in too. So my thought is... <laughs> My thought is maybe that I'll kind of hit on a couple of those ideas because I felt like there was there's some things that William pushed out to me that were really good that were coming from some of you guys. Um, and so I thought maybe I'll kind of jive on that because it'll still connect to everything we've been talking about. And I think it's really important. Um, and then I could, you know, get into the rest of what I was talking about last week, which was it all connects. It's, it's Israel is a huge topic. So I know that one of the things that really stood out to me, and you can help me remember, but was, was basically questions about, um, specifically about the idea of, okay, so we've got the people of God and we've got, it, it's, it's through faith, but then there's also clearly, especially as I went back to Genesis 3.15, you know, the promise of the seed. And so from that moment, there is this element of genetics involved, as in there really is a direct descendant of the lineage of Adam and Eve, you know, and then on to Seth and, and that seed, that particular son. And we looked at how, you know, even in Genesis five, you look at just following patriarch, or, or that would be like the firstborn son after the firstborn son being the ones that are the, the direct heir of that promise. And, and so that begs a question which which kind of plays out, especially in, in the Old Testament, you see that there is a particular focus on a particular group of people, right? A, a particular family, a particular genealogy, should I say. And so it kind of, you know, it can provoke the kind of questions of, well, where does that leave us? And of course, it gets even more interesting as we get into the New Testament. Is this just purely a thing where it's just you just got to be born into the right family? You know, like if you know, it's either you're born in the right family or not born in the right family. And, um, and I think that those are relevant questions that I think even in so many levels, people, uh, wrestle with, even in the discussion about Israel and the church, you know? <laughs> so, because I mean, to me, it's, it's after, after a while, as I kind of parse it out, I think it makes sense, but there's a place where we can't fully understand it. So, I'll say one thing. When you're looking at the Genesis 315 seed, that, that seed that's going to crush the head 
of the serpent, the one that's going to deliver and restore. I believe that in that sense, genetically, it's got to be the firstborn son. It's, it's a very clear, specific mandate that there's, there's this son that Eve is going to have. And, and there's a specific bloodline it's going to come through. And so it, it comes through Seth. And then at different times in the scripture, and we've talked about some of the different times where the Lord highlights and prophetically lays his hand on it, says it's through you. So we get to Noah. And then from Noah, we know it's Shem. And from Shem, eventually we get to, we get to Abram and we get to Judah. You know, so it, it's this specific bloodline so that when we know like when King David comes on the scene, we talked about Abram before and Abram came on the scene, right? And he's in Ur, he's in Babylon. We don't know if he's, you know, we don't know, was he worshiping other gods or, or some rabbis believe it was his father that was an idolater, but Abram, we don't know, you know, we don't know the full story, but we do know one thing about Abram is that he is a direct descendant coming from Shem. So he is eligible to be that one that would receive that blessing. Whereas there were many other men on the earth at that time that could not take that Genesis 3.15 blessing, if that makes sense. That makes sense. So fast forward to David. We get to David and he's the king. Well, at this point now, we know that since Abram, there's been, I, there's been Isaac, there's been Jacob, the 12 tribes of Israel. We know that prophetically uh, by the end of the Pentateuch, by the end of the Torah, we know that for sure Judah is the tribe that's going to produce the king. Okay. And so, you know, it's, it's what, how, I don't know how many hundreds, almost a thousand years later that David arrives on the scene and David is from the tribe of Judah. So, you know, it could have been any boy, any son that would have been a direct descendant of Judah at that point in time, but it was David, but it couldn't be somebody from another tribe. So Saul, who was the king, the first king of Israel, he actually was never going to be his lineage was never going to live on because he was of the tribe of Benjamin. Right. Mm -hmm. So so he wasn't actually that one that was coming from Genesis 3.15. So in that sense, when we're looking at that specific looking for that deliverer who eventually that one is understood in Jesus's day as the Messiah, you know, really that the Messiah means kings, the throne name of the king of Israel. So so David technically was Messiah. He was called the anointed one, but he's not Messiah as in like the savior that freaked people out. I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, only Jesus. Yes, Jesus is a Messiah, but Jesus is fully God, fully man. Um, so he has the throne name of Israel. If that, I don't want to go into all the details. So if any king of Israel would have been called Messiah in a sense, okay? So, but as Christians today, we tend to think, oh, Messiah means savior of the world. Messiah means God. No, it actually Messiah was meant the throne room, throne name of Israel. That's, that's what it meant. But it, it became understood, especially after they came back from Babylon, that that one who was going to be the Messiah was going to be more than a man. Now, they didn't know fully, but there were all kinds of rabbinical theories and, and, and surely, actually, you know, after Jesus came along, they kind of started to, to drop those theories about, hey, you know, about the divinity and that kind of thing. But there were, and we have the writings, that there were views of, you know, a possible godlike person or divine type person. Um, anyway, I'm kind of going off here because I want to stick to the topic. But the point is that we have 
in the time of Christ, by that point in time, there was a developed understanding of Messiah. Okay. And, and it had developed to mean more than just the king of Israel. It was going to be that one that Genesis 3.15 won. Okay. And in that sense, when Jesus comes on the scene, he has to be a direct descendant of David. Okay. That is what made him a legitimate heir to the throne. That is partially what freaked the Pharisees out because he was legitimate. He was truly a son of David through both bloodlines, whether mom or dad, you know, whichever way you want to go, Luke or Matthew, both the genealogies trace back to David, which made him legitimate. And then on top of it, he fulfills all these other prophecies and he's walking on water and healing people and casting out demons and his teaching has authority. So they are panicking. Whereas if he had been of the tribe of Benjamin or any other tribe, tribe of Levi, it would have been no problem because you could just show his genealogy be like, look, he can't be the Messiah. Okay. So in that sense, the genes matter. Okay. Now for those who come to Christ as Christians, we are saved by grace through faith. So we're born again by believing by faith that Jesus is that one that God promised. So it's kind of, to me, it's kind of like the Abram. I talked about the covenant that God made with Abraham and that, that blood covenant was a covenant, a way that men in that time for a long time, the way they would do, it's way beyond a contract. Um, but that was something that was created by men. Okay. It wasn't like God came on and said, Hey, I'm going to come up with this blood covenant thing. And, and teach it to you. No, what he said is, I'm going to come, I'm going to come, Abram, and I'm going to make a blood covenant with you, something you and your culture is very familiar with. And it's going to make sense to you so that I'm communicating to you that I mean what I mean, like till death do us part. If I break my word, I am not God, that kind of thing. I mean, it's, it was, a it's, it's, we don't even really have a covenant on that level today. The closest thing is marriage and still marriage, you know, vows are broken all the time. Right. So we don't really understand covenant, but God speaks his, if you want to know God's language, it's, it's maybe covenant would be the best language I could think of that he speaks. He speaks in covenant. So covenant is like this unbreakable bond that he makes. But the interesting thing is that he uses something that, that men understood you know, he's like, I don't, to make a covenant with you, I don't need to do this blood thing, right? But it's kind of like in our day, um, you know, it's like, hey, let's get the lawyers, let's get us all together, we're going to write and sign all the papers, and that's something we would understand and go, okay, I get it, okay? So God uses specific things that really matter, that really communicate to people and to humanity in order to demonstrate how, how um, sure his promises are and to demonstrate I made the promise and now you're going to be able to mark it and see me fulfill that promise. And so he does that painstakingly in the Old Testament over and over prophetically declaring, I will do this. And then it really does happen. And so it's very important. Uh, and I'm, I'm making that point because even the idea of following that genetic bloodline increases. God wants us to be able to believe Faith is not blind. It's not, uh, you know, it's not based on nothing. Faith is based on, it's, it's substantial. And so 
he understands that ultimately, yes, if you believe that Jesus is God, it is something of faith. However, you've got some things to cling to. You've got some evidence. You've got this historical document where God said, hey, I'm going to genetically, I'm going to bring forth a man from this particular womb. And then and then he highlights later and says, it's going to be from Noah. It's going to be from Shem. It's going to be from Isaac and Jacob. And it's going to be from Judah. It's going to be from David. And he gets more and more isolated, almost like, Anyway, I'm kind of thinking technology, but it's like breaking it down the quadrant to like, you know, just like target hit, you know, and Jesus comes on the scene, but it's, it's to actually bolster our faith so that in the days of, of Christ, when God had given all these covenants to Israel, the intention was that Israel would go Messiah. This is the one he is it. This is what all the prophecies led to this one right? If he hadn't have done all that, then it would almost not even make sense, right? It wouldn't make sense for God to become a man because nobody would even know. Like, what, what do you gauge it by? And, and there is no covenant. There is no people group that carried it. So God cares about the natural, but I believe that he doesn't just care about the natural just to get us across the finish line into the spiritual. There is something very substantial about it. So I look at it as both because I mean, I've got many Christian brothers, you know, in, in, in the faith that definitely believe in the Old Testament and the covenants and the, and the value and, and the reason why that God chose a specific man to create a specific family to carry specific covenants and release specific prophetic promises so that a specific man who God had all along promised would come. And I, and, and I know that within the realm of we're talking about orthodoxy, that's accepted. But now we're in the New Testament time period. And there are many believers who, even though, you know, might maybe look and say that's valuable, but they look and say it's, it was just a shadow and it is a shadow, right? It's a shadow as in it was showing us something greater that's coming, but it's not just a shadow. Just is a big word. <laughs> I would say it was a shadow, but the Bible doesn't say it was just a shadow. I'm just kind of playing on words. But what I mean is that that the specific geographic region that Israel was given by God matters. I talked about that, the land, the specific people group that Abraham genetically produced matter to God. Okay. Whether, whether they choose to believe him or not, because there were many Jews that lived by faith. And there are many Jews that were basically apostate, even though they, they were descendants of Abram. That makes sense. So I'm trying, I'm just trying to kind of paint the picture that I think that the natural element is very important, but I think it's most specific in the Messiah, that, that need for the genetic family. Um, and, and, and I, so I don't look at it as, as like, okay, even before Christ came, you've got Abram and you've got his family and it grows, grows, grows. Obviously, you know, they go down to Egypt, they come back out and it's like, you know, over a million people and the nation just keeps growing and proliferating. Right. But even within that, there is a specific family group, genetically, genealogically, that God has a covenant with. Um, but that that even within that group, if you look back more specifically, that group, and we talked about this, uh, you know, it was kind of after, guys, sorry, it was the after party, but <laughs> Adam and William, I kind of talked about it last time too, was, was that basically uh, the, all along, Israel was not just actually composed of Abram and Sarah's genetic children. 
Like from, from early on, there were people that were incorporated into the family. So there were many servants, Adam pointed out, there were many servants that were actually within Adam's, within Abram's uh, family and tribes that were with him, that were faithful servants, and they had wives and they had children, and they all were incorporated into the nation of Israel. So that by the time you get to, by the time you get to Isaac and Jacob, and they go down, they go to Egypt because there's a, a huge famine. The, the family was quite, quite large, but they had also incorporated in many servants and other people that were not genetically part of their family. And they go down to Egypt as this group of people that are not all genetically related, even though there is a specific genetic, that makes sense, a genetic father and mother of it all. But they go down and they come back up over a million people. And, and that is a group of people that, uh, that, that's what I'm trying to say. It's not, it's not like God was like, Oh no, 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 you can't be in the fold. You know, you can't be in the fold. And we see, even though there's not a lot of emphasis on it in the old Testament, that clearly Israel, the nation was meant to be a light to the nations. And there were many that understood that mandate and they brought those teachings throughout the earth. So, so we know, and we know historically that, that there were synagogues all over, even, even up until the time of Christ, that the teaching of, of Jews had spread all over. I mean, it was anywhere where you could find, you know, uh, uh, civilization, you would probably find somebody who knew about the Torah, or who was teaching the Torah. I'm not saying it was overwhelming, but, but it had spread. Okay. And part of that is if you really think about the story of Jonah, Jonah goes, God tells Jonah, go to Assyria, Assyria, what they're, they're not, Israel, like, but God says, Hey, look, these guys are about to go off the cliff and I want you to go warn them. And I know they're horrible because they were, they were like formidable. I mean, you can like in the museums and there's a museum in Britain, like the whatever history, they have all kinds of stuff about Assyria and man, they were, they were wicked. I mean, they, they did. Yeah. The, the, the evil that they did <laughs> uh, to the earth and to people was just astronomical. And and here is this good little Jewish boy being told, I want you to go up there and you tell him that they need to repent. Otherwise, I'm going to judge them. OK, and Jonah's like, man, I'm not going to do it because I know how merciful you are. And these guys are wicked, evil. I am not going to put up with this Yahweh. I mean, he's really offended because because, I mean, these are some evil dudes. Right. And so he runs and, you know, the story and he ends up he ends up out on the ocean. And it's really interesting before the whole incident with him getting swallowed by the fish and you go read it. It's a short book. It's really powerful. But before that happens, you see there are these guys and these guys are not Jewish. They, they don't know the covenants. They're clearly Gentile of Gentiles, but you see that they're trying to do everything they can to avoid throwing Jonah over. Once they realize Jonah is the guy, he's the reason why this storm is going to destroy their ship. I mean, they're like, man, the judgment of God is on us. What's the deal? They find out it's Jonah. And it's, and Jonah is pretty much like, y'all are going to have to throw me overboard. And I mean, you're talking like in the middle of ocean, that's murder. These guys, they might be pagan, but they're not murderers, right? They're not like, we don't want to, we're not going to do that. So they try to throw everything else off the ship that they can. It just, just out of normal humanity, right. To try to rescue this guy. And finally Jonah's like, dude, I'm telling you, (laughs) it's like, you're going to have to throw me off the ship. So he, they throw him off the ship. And as soon as they do, the storm stops, you know, and, and it's like this, this revelation 
where you know they're going as a matter of fact i, I gotta like can you, can you bust it open for me because i want to find that specific verse where they ask him and he declares to them who yahweh is okay and basically he tells them he's he's like i serve the god it's basically something like the god who created the heavens and the earth and it's just like this powerful authority and they're just whoa and all of these guys on the ship become believers they all become believers in yahweh okay what is that right and this kind of thing happens throughout the history of israel where there are those who are not of the fold they're not genetically of the verse nine what one arm. Yeah. <clears throat> One arm racism. Yeah. yeah, I'm like, I haven't read it in a while, but it's like uh one one nine. Let's see, he says, and he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you've done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. But it's like they have this revelation, like, oh my gosh. This, this is like, this is legit. I mean, they, and, and, and basically 16 is when they, after they throw them out, then they fear the Lord. In ver verse 16, the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Wow. So they come into the fold right there, you know, and he hasn't even made it to Assyria and Assyria repents this, which is a whole another crazy story, but I can't fathom the power of Jonah, what kind of power did God release on a man that he went into this powerful city, Nineveh, goes all the way back. Remember, we talked about Genesis and we talked about Nimrod, and he's the one who founded Assyria and Nineveh. He goes into this city, this stronghold, and, and declares the truth to them, and they repent. And actually, for another, I think it was about another century they held off. Now, judgment did come to them later because eventually they, but that generation made it through. What, what kind of power did God release on Jonah that an entire nation would repent when you would have thought they would have laughed and scoffed? You know, I'm not saying, I don't know which one of them, them became believers in Yahweh, but they clearly heeded his word. Nonetheless, it goes over and over. So David, the, the days of David, it's not emphasized, but David, when he's running from Saul and he's in the caves, he has many, like basically like the, the, the riffraff and the marginalized and, you know, just <laughs> all, all the misfits yeah. are gathering to David and they're coming to him. And he kind of becomes like a, a father to them. And in this time, these guys are from Gath. They're Philistines. They are Hebrews, but there are also there's this whole fold of guys who are not Jewish. They're Philistines. They're, you can read by their names, you know, so-and-so of Gath. Well, who's from Gath? Goliath is from Gath, right? Um, so you, you get these guys that look, Obed-Edom, he's an Edomite. He's not, Edom is not a no, that's not a Jewish thing, right? Obed-Edom actually later becomes incorporated into the Levitical priesthood, which is mind-boggling. I don't even know how that happens, 
How do you become a Levitical priest when you're not even a Jew? You're not even of the tribe of Levi. But later in David's reign, Obed-Edom is incorporated into the Levitical priesthood. So there are these all these mighty men that he has that are that are warriors. There are others that 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 become like worship leaders and prophets. And not all of them are Jewish. Now they they take on the faith that by faith they believe in Yahweh. And that's why you might be like, what are you talking about, Eric? But I, I can prove it to you if you go to Acts 15, 17. In Acts chapter 15, there's this whole council where they're basically like, what are we going to do? Paul's out there preaching the, the, the gospel to the Gentiles and all these Gentiles are getting saved because the church was purely Jewish at that point in time, you know, and, and their problem was how can we let Gentiles in? <laughs> you know, this is for post Christ. What do we do? Can we let Gentiles in that? They're literally asking this question. Do they need to get circumcised? Do they need to follow. Like, what do we need to do? Or do we do it? Can we even let him in at all? And, and the apostle James, who is actually Jesus's brother, speaks up and he becomes, he's kind of like the leader of Jerusalem. And he's one of Jesus's brothers. And, he's, and he speaks up and he quotes Amos 9-11. And, and his rationale for this, it kind of sounds crazy, but he basically says, hey, look, in Amos 9-11, it said that the fallen tent of David would be raised up in the latter days so that the residue, so the Gentiles could come into the house of the Lord and be saved. Like, what? Mm. So Amos is a prophet who had prophesied that. And James in the New Testament is saying, this is part of that. Well, what was Amos talking about? Amos was talking about there are multiple things in the tabernacle of David, but one element of the tabernacle of David, which is the house, his house, and also the house of the Lord that he built where they worshiped the Lord around the ark. But one thing that was significant about it and that he's talking about is that many Gentiles came into the family of God during the time of David. And mm -hmm. David, in a sense, lived almost like in a New Testament dispensation before Christ even came. It was almost like a a like a take reaching forward in the future and taking the promise of grace pulling it into his time period. And David was a foreshadowing of Christ. And yet at the same time, which that makes sense, right? Because through David, many people came into the fold and even into the Levitical priesthood who were not Jews, right? So my point is that even in the natural time, the time of the Old Testament, where there's this natural genealogy, which I still believe there's a there is a natural genealogy of Jewish people, but even in that time, there were people who were not genetically of the fold of Abraham and Isaac. I think it's beautiful and it's full of the Psalms are full of God's desire and invitation to the nations. You know, he's inviting the nations in to come and join in worship, to come to the house of the Lord. And, and he's also warning the nations, but he loved, he loves the nations. And so he uses our, our specific location because we're people and we take up space he uses specific things specific books and specific people okay and specific genes but that doesn't limit his kingdom to those genes <laughs> either yeah. okay so i think it's extremely important that jesus had to genetically be of that lineage any other jew within even before christ came if they were confessing the name of Yahweh, if they were, what is it, um, in, in Psalms, they're, they're, they also called, if you were Gentile and you weren't, 
what did they call them? There was a, there was a name for them. Goyim? Maybe the Goyim, but also those who fear Goyim. the Lord. Oh, yeah. Gentile, but those who fear the Lord. Yeah. Uh, there's a, I'm Not thinking fierce. of the, yeah, yeah, the ones that fear fear the Lord. So there was still this, this, you could convert as a Jew or you could be like a Gentile who had faith. And this was all going on. And so those people, it wasn't like the Lord was going to go, hey, wait a minute. You're not, you're not actually genetically of the right race, right? No, because we know from Paul, even in Romans, multiple books, I would say Galatians as well, but Romans, he starts talking about Abram in Romans 4, and he talks about this issue of faith. And basically what he says is, hey, you know, Abram was saved by faith. It, it wasn't, it wasn't his works. It wasn't what he did. It was it, God who says it in Genesis, uh, I can't remember which chapter, but he says, you know, that he was justified. He was made righteous because he believed it was his faith in God's promise. It was his faith to, to believe and say, I don't have a son right now. And you're telling me I'm going to have a son. I'm going to believe you anyway. You're, you're telling me to go to another land and I'm going to do it, even though I don't know where I'm going. And his faith justified him. Therefore, as the father of the faith, this happened 400 years before, at least before the law came through Moses. And that's Abram's point. He's like, look, the law came later, but Abram was confessing. Abram was saved by faith because he believed the promises of God, which actually were very specific because he was believing that he would have a son and that it would be a supernatural birth because there was no way he could have a son through, through Sarah because she was barren and, and then she was beyond childbearing. So there were some interesting um, elements. He didn't have the fullness of understanding of the gospel that we did. But from that time forth, what Paul is saying is, Every Jew was responsible to be saved by faith, no matter what. Like, I mean, they couldn't just say, hey, I, I kept the law. Hey, I did this and that. It's like they had to believe. They had to have the same faith as their father, Abram. And, and it's the same faith that allowed those guys who were David's mighty men and those guys who were on Jonah's ship and, and, and you and me today, any one of us who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know, it's that same faith, that same belief. And so I, I, I think that there's a, a place where, yes, genetically, Jesus had to have the specific genes and bloodline because he had to be a particular bloodline and a particular sacrifice. There, there are specific things that he had to fulfill because God so ordained it. I mean, but it, it, it gives us faith. Okay. But at the same time, I will say now, when you fast forward into the New Testament, the question of what about Israel today? So now we're after Christ and Jesus is that seed of the woman. He is the seed. Well, all along, God had made up promises to Abram's family. Okay. And, and he even made promises to Ishmael, right? Um, so those promises still stand. Now, does that mean that if you're genetically Jewish, that just because you're genetically Jewish, you automatically go to heaven? No. Paul's, Paul says basically, no, it didn't work that way even back then. Like there never was a time you got to go, you know, you got a free ride eternally because just because you were born, you know, I mean, it's like John the Baptist said, he's like, yo, you know, God can raise up sons of Abram from these stones, you know, like <laughs> it doesn't it don't work like that, y'all. So However, he does have, and you might want to say something about, are you going to say something? I was just going to okay. say Ahab. 
Okay. He didn't trust in the Lord. There, Ahab. There you go. So yeah, we've got, yeah, we had a lot of wicked kings. We got a lot of apostates that still were posers. You know, they're apostates, but they tried to stay in the fold and 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 cling to God's promises. I mean, that doesn't happen anymore now, but whatever. So <laughs> but we but but they're trying to cling to his prom. They're not, they're not saying, hey, I don't believe in Yahweh. They're like using him, milking it for all it's worth, but they're not gonna inherit eternally. Okay. So, but that's their choice. But it doesn't mean that God um, looks at that genetic family and says, eh, that doesn't mean anything anymore. So what I mean by that is there's still, I believe, just as God made, he made specific promises to different nations. You can read the Old Testament. He mentions nation after nation. I mean, like Ezekiel, it's like he's in their name and put in, you know, basically Ethiopia, Persia, which would be Cush, or is it Cush? I can't remember. So it's Elam, I think. So there are all these nations that he's naming out. And and at different times, he's got different promises. Now, it's not always good promises here, but yeah, some, some don't go so good. But God deals with nations and he deals with different people groups and specifically the people of Israel who are in that family have a specific calling in this life. And I believe it's, it, it doesn't determine their future. They, it, it's just, it's like what Paul says. And if you read Romans nine through 11, I highly recommend reading it, but he's like, look, was that to no avail? No, these people, they had the covenants. They had the promises there. It was a massive benefit for the people of God that they had this intimate relationship with Yahweh and they got to see it firsthand and they got to be the bearers of his covenants is what he's saying. I mean, which is radical and awesome. He said, but he's basically saying that doesn't make them saved. They still have to believe. And that's my prayer. You know, that's what Paul's saying is like my prayer, my hope. And if I could just give, even if I could give my soul that my brothers would be saved, I would do it. So clearly he believes that, but he also, I think when you read in Romans nine through 11, he believes there's a specific promises for that particular nation in this lifetime, because this lifetime does matter. And Christians with our Greek mindset, we've gotten, we've allowed it to seep in where we think somehow this life doesn't matter. You know what I mean? It's it's all about the afterlife. Well, it does matter. Eternal life matters, right? But this life, everything we do matters. And it matters a lot to God. And he's not just going to redeem a little of it. He's going to redeem all of it. Every little broken place, every speck of dust and everything that you never even, you can't even remember that was jacked up. He's, he's after all of it. So he's going to redeem it all. And he's not just going to redeem our, our spirit. He's going to redeem our body. Therefore, I believe that there is a people group that even are alive today and they are descendants of Abraham and, and Sarah. And they've got the blood of Gentiles in them too, but they are specifically Jewish. And, and you know, they're Jewish because anytime well, I'm not going to say the four letter word, but anytime the crap hits the fan, basically people, they weed out the Jews right away. I mean, this was my, when my mom was a kid, you know, she, she's a little bit on the older side. They were weeding out the Jews just down the street from where she lived. Okay. And, and, and like, it didn't matter even like you can read the testimony of, uh, I can't remember his name. Uh, oh, what's his name? He's from, he's Russian. And he, he actually became one of the first founders of Israel in 1948. And he, he was, he was, uh, man, I can't remember his name right now. So, no, 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 not, no, not like that. So, but he was basically, he was grew up atheist, you know, and he was Russian to the bone, to the core. And his family, his family was very, wow, at that yeah. point was communist. Yeah. And, but, but because he was Jewish, 
they started persecuting the Jews. And all of a sudden he couldn't go to the same school and he didn't have the same benefits. And he was like, he, he hated it. It was like this blood in his veins caused him to be excluded, even though he was like, everything about me was Russian. Everything about me. I believed in the, the ideology. I believed in the culture, everything. But what separated me was the blood in my veins. And that's the testimony of so many. And so now that's a, a, a scheme of the enemy. But my point is that people can say, and you'll hear it today, Oh, we don't know who the Jews really are. Oh, yeah, I guarantee you, you let Hitler rise up. You'll know exactly who the Jews are because they will they will hunt them down and sniff them out and find every person that's got Jewish blood in them. So I don't buy that for a second because that was only, you know, that was that was my mom's still alive. That was happening in her lifetime. So that's not that long ago. Okay. And it's happened since then. The Jews get hunted down. You might not feel like a Jew. You might not think like a Jew, but I guarantee you when anti-Semitism comes knocking at your door, it's going to hunt you out and it's not going to let you live your life. And that has been the testimony for the Jews all throughout the centuries. Okay. So there is on the flip side, that's a negative thing, but I believe that's a ne that negative happens because the enemy despises why is he so why does he disdain that particular he hates christians he hates christianity but why does he still want to go after these jewish people if they don't mean it if it was just a shadow and they don't really mean anything to us anymore why does he want to see their demise and really their genocide so badly other than that there is a blessing resting I remember I was in college in, of course, yeah, whatever I was in college, but there was this one, one class I had, and there was this girl I got to know and it turned out, you know, eventually I was talking to her. She wasn't a believer or anything, but she was Jewish and her, her parents were not like Orthodox, you know, but they kind of grew up doing the traditions, her parents more so than her, but definitely not, not like, like not a believer, but a lot of Jews still might carry on the culture. And I talked to her about how, like, I really believed that God had specific blessings for her. And she thought that was kind of like, ah, you know, I mean, that seems like, you know, favoritism or whatever. I was like, look, and I tried to explain to her, this is how I saw it. It was just kind of an epiphany moment. And I'm not saying this is how it really works, but I was like, look, the way I look at it is like, it's like God's spirit in Genesis one is like hovering over the earth, just hovering over the earth. And then he speaks and there's light. And I was like, and I, I think that's the way it is for you. And that's the way it is for your people. It's like God is just hovering over you and there's this blessing over your life. And he's just waiting for you to say, let there be light. Let, you know, just, it's like, it's the same verse that Paul uses in second Corinthians, where he says that, that it's, it's the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That that same light that comes forth is actually what brings salvation. And so that's what I told her. I was like, I believe it's, it's like the spirit of God is hovering over you. And whether you choose to believe or not, there's favor on your life. There's been favor on clearly on the Jewish people all throughout they're, they're, They rise to the top over and over and over and they're hated and detested for it. But I believe that's a, that actually is, is a demonically driven hate, but they have over and over risen to the top. So, so yeah, it's hard to get away from the genetic question. Um, but like I said, I don't believe that that blessing on someone's life um, is going to make them say that that girl, I can't remember her name. And I don't know if she ever came to Christ, but if she did, she'll see him face to face. If she doesn't, 
even though that spirit with that specific blessing was resting on our life, that God had like an inherit, inherit, we all have an inheritance, even waiting for us, even before we know Jesus. It's like specific blessings. And, and I just think it works that way. I, I don't have a, you know, a metaphysical guide to explain it, but I think the Bible is clear enough that we can believe that in this life, there are specific promises God's going to keep. And, and we don't have to understand. There's a lot I don't. I don't understand how my brain and my spirit connect. But somehow I'm a physical being and I'm a spiritual being. And it's a mystery. Now, there are many people who think you're just physical and that's all your neurons and electricity. And when your heart stops, you're done, you know. But I don't believe that, you know. There are a lot of mysteries that I believe. Paul calls this a mystery. He calls, he calls it in Romans 9 through 11. It's the mystery of Israel and the church. And, you know, some people say, well, a mystery is something to be proclaimed in the Bible. And it is. But the mystery of Jesus, who's fully God coming and taking on the form of a man, that was proclaimed and declared clearly as the gospel. And Paul calls that a mystery in Colossians, from what I recall. In Colossians, he calls it a mystery. And, and, and it's a mystery that is then proclaimed and made known. But please show me the man that understands the mystery of the Trinity. Show me the man who it's no mystery to them that God took on the form of a man. I mean, the incarnation, how do you comprehend that? The only option is to believe. That's the only option. So, so I, I mean, and I'm, I'm kind of addressing right now the replacement theology camp that will tend to take that, that term mystery and turn it into, into a word that we can, that we can kind of control and and I'm just saying there's a, there's a galactic difference between declaring something and fully understanding a mystery, okay? So I look at it that way. I say there's a mystery, and I also look at it and I say, what's the future for Israel? You know, we, we see clearly that there are biblical promises for Israel all the way up until the end. Are they the people of God if they believe by faith? But are they the people of God on the earth? In a sense, they are like God promised, um, but I'm not saying that that means that they're going to be so like, I don't know how it all works, but when it, when it all, when Jesus comes and there's the resurrection and, and there's the new heavens and the new earth, there won't be Israel. And then the church, the church is grafted into Israel and we're con- I don't know how it all works, but I know there aren't going to be two peoples of God. There's not going to be like these people and those people, you know, <laughs> like, I don't yeah. believe that how it all works. I don't know. That's where Paul says it's the mystery, but he does talk about how we're grafted into the vine. So there's never a day where God's not going to be known as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He declares in the old time, and I can't remember which scripture where he's like, this is my name and it's my name forever. So he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He changes not. He changes not. And, he, and he says clearly in Isaiah 9 that Jesus, reign, he will reign, the Messiah is going to reign on the throne of David. And his kingdom and his government will increase forever. There will be no end. So there's not going to be a day where he's going to be like, ah, I'm kind of done with this Jewish identity thing. There is a Jew who's going to rule the earth forever. Like, and, and the, the, the crazy thing in me saying that is that there, if you're familiar, there, there are all kinds of conspiracies uh, about the Jews and they've gone around for a long time. And, and, uh, and the conspiracy is that the Jew, Jews control the world. Now, you might think I'm kind of crazy, but I'm telling you that you can go to just, you can just go up to New York and listen to people preaching this on the street corner. Okay. I mean, it ain't no joke. 
And so, but they're not the only ones because obviously this was rampant in the days of, of uh, Stalinism, Leninism, in the days of, of uh, Hitler. Yeah, going back. I mean, th- this constant idea. And so, you know, today it manifested like, look, they, they rule Hollywood. They rule the elites. They rule America. They have all the wealth and they're secretly controlling the world. And their goal, friends, is to rule the world. <laughs> now, <clears throat> here's the thing. The interesting thing is, if you listen to a paranoid schizophrenic, half of what they say might actually be true. I mean, these, these <laughs> you might think I'm crazy, but these conspiracies come from something that's real and they're coming from they're coming from a being we've talked about them in genesis 6 right we talked earlier about these fallen beings it's not just satan there are other fallen beings and they're very powerful and and they have real plans and they really influence the earth paul calls them rulers and authorities and powers he calls them the powers of the air that's who they are and they have real influence and and they are totally paranoid about the rule and reign of christ They're absolutely, they've done everything they could to try to stop it. And if they had known, Paul says, if they had known that that crucifying Jesus would have been their demise, they wouldn't have done it. They've done everything to try to stop it. And they're still trying. And if they can, they'll destroy all the people of God, which they'll try. And they're going to try to kill all the Christians, all the Jewish people. Because as long as there's a Jew on the earth, there's somebody potentially that could, you know, he could get rid of all the Christians, but still there's these Jews on the earth that still carry those covenants. And that means that those promises are still possible and they're still alive. And we've got to get rid of them so they can never be declared, never be proclaimed. So they'll be dead. And so there's this paranoia about the Jews ruling the world. And, and ironically, it's not going to happen the way the conspiracy says. But well, I think a lot of that is the evil Jewish people that are, you know, well, they, the I mean, non-believing I, Jew, if, they, if they're an Orthodox Jew and Talmudic Jew, what they believe is some... Yeah, but There's some but, rough stuff that's not not the. Bible. But I mean, but the thing is that you could you could say that about any people group, you know. So I mean, I can see how it could fall it could fall that direction, but what I'm kind of getting at is more the angle of the conspiracy is this is the thing is that there really is a Jew who's going to rule the world, oh, and, yeah. and he's going to rule the world forever. It's just not the way the conspiracy says. Right. His, name, his name his name is Jesus. And he's, yeah, his name is Jesus and he really is going to, but, it, but it's not the way that the conspiracy, so this conspiracy particularly comes from a thing called, I think it's the protocols of the elders of Zion, which is proven. It was a proven document that was, yeah, it was, it was a big farce. It was fabricated. By Russians. Yeah. I was going to say it was actually an early, early communist document, mm-hmm. but in that document, it's been used over and over and it's still espoused to this day to explain right. how this whole, you know, corruption, I mean, people can get into all the conspiracies. The point is that we know and we can look and we can see that this, this conspiracy is not real or true. It it emanates from a hatred for the people of God. And there's a double standard upon Israel, upon the Jewish people. And that's very important to understand because it's not just Christians that hold Israel to a double standard. It's also the nations do. So you have Israel today is a nation Israel became a nation state again in 1948, 
from 70 AD when the Romans said, we are done with you guys. And they expelled them and they destroyed the temple and they just scattered them through the earth. They were like, no more. They lost their nation. And from 70 AD all the way to 1948, the year 1948, there was no nation state of Israel. Now, 1948, what, what, what was that? That was like, whoa, that was right after World War II. So that was right after there was attempted genocide on the Jews. Now, there's a lot that goes down in this, and there's a lot of misinformation <laughs> on it. But the bottom line is God did what he promised. And I'm like, if God was done with them, and the New Testament started, what, you know, over 2,000 years ago, why would 1,948 years into the New Covenant all of a sudden, God keep a promise and give Israel this specific piece of real estate. Well, there are many Christians say, well, it's just kind of by chance or, or there's no difference between them than any other nation. Okay, well, I'd, I'd totally disagree with that. But I, I, what I want to I want to get on the point of the double standard. So here we've got Israel, we've got this nation. And when you talk about it politically, okay, and I don't believe that Israel can do no wrong. I look at Israel, the nation state, the people of Israel. It's just as sinful as anybody else. My goodness, there's human trafficking, there's prostitution, there's all kinds of stuff. Uh, uh, the whole thing. That's right. Yeah, like the, the LGBTQ agenda, everything, you know, they got it all going on, man. So I'm not saying that. And I'm not saying they can do no wrong. I'm not like, you know, the actually, I don't really think there are that many Christians. I think it's a stereotype when Christians, oh, you support Israel. Well, that doesn't mean that I think they can do no wrong in maybe uh, something dealing with the Palestinians, even though. The, that is a, a, a huge issue, but like on a specific, there are specific instances where it's like, yes, even Israel will prosecute their own soldiers if they do something that's unjust against a Palestinian, okay? Israel holds a better standard, and I'm just talking nation state politically. They keep up with their mess better than the United States or any European country ever has. They hold their own accountable, and they only do exactly what they need to do. America has a massive double standard. Um, now, we do have politicians that obviously support Israel. I'm just saying that why is there this double standard on Israel when we would never allow the kind of, I mean, if, if, if Mexico was lobbing missiles into our, into, I guarantee you, even today with our very left-leaning government, uh, I don't know if there will be a Mexico tomorrow. Okay. Now, Israel is supposed to allow terrorists to lob constant missiles in and do nothing about it. Like, and if they do something about it, it's so specific. I mean, they've developed all this technology. So there's an Alan Dershowitz is a, is like famous lawyer. He's written a book about the case for Israel. He's not practicing Jew or anything like that, but, but it's really good. It's about the double standard, but also Christians hold a double standard with Israel as well. It's like, oh, well, like I said, oh, they've got human trafficking and they've got sinfulness. And I'm like, really? Well, uh, show me the country that doesn't. You know, sorry, trying, I, I need to be more respectful. I'm, I'm just like, please, I'm not, I'm not justifying sin. I'm just saying that uh, it's a double standard. There's just, there's just no way around it. It's like, uh, what about the church? Like, how about let's hold the church accountable before we go point our finger at, at the sin of Jews? I'm like, come on. I mean, we know if they're Jewish and they're Orthodox Jew or they're practicing Jew and they don't even believe Messiah. I mean, come on now. They don't even have the spirit of God within them. So I think it's kind of foolish to hold a double standard <laughs> when 
Judgment begins with the house of the Lord. I mean, Peter talks about it and he's talking about the house of the Lord. So anyway, I just making these points there. There's so many areas where for whatever reason, because of Israel, uh, it's so easy to blame and point the finger and, and hold a double standard uh, when, yeah, in a sense, they are like any other people, but God has kept his promise and, and Hitler and we know, or at least I believe he was definitely a precursor for an antichrist carried a, a, a very, um, I mean, if you read anything about the guy and his, and the guys around him, Himmler and all these guys, they were super into the occult. There was something really funky, weird that went on with these guys. It, 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 there was a spiritual charge on what happened. It took Europe by storm. These are people who were highly cultured and refined, the most educated people of the day. And they were brought into like one of the most barbaric events in human history, right? And, and, and here, that was not long ago, guys. That was like a summer nights ago. And here we are. And somehow we imagine that couldn't happen to us. But I can tell you part of that happened because there was not just a natural energy on it. When there's enough cohesion of bad ideas and demonic doctrines doesn't, and I just mean like really bad ideas, <laughs> you get enough of it consolidated. There are spiritual forces that can, that can hijack the whole thing and run that show like, like a smooth, well-oiled machine. And that's what happened. But the Bible is clear that it's going to happen again. And so we know that there's more persecution coming. We know that there will be more persecution and there will be persecution against Christians. There, there are parts of the world where Christians are slaughtered right and left today, but we know, oh, okay, not thought. So I don't know if I ever got to what I was originally going to talk about, but I'm just trying to synthesize some of these ideas because there's so much to talk about. And my, my warning would be to for us to just check ourselves on not having a double standard to understand that if God so chooses to have a particular people group and give them a particular land, it, it's kind of, it, to me, it's like uh, after the resurrection, Peter and John are walking with Jesus along the shore. And, and, and it sounds like John's going to get to live forever. He's not really, but it sounds like he's, he's going to live a nice long life. And God basically, Jesus tells Peter like, Hey, you're going to be strung up. Basically you're going to be crucified. And Peter's like, well, wait a minute. What, what about him? And Jesus says, no, what's it to you? What I say about him. And that's the, that's the bottom line is what's it to us? Like, it, it's the same thing. There was a parable where, where this guy calls out workers to the field and he, and he's like, Hey, I'm going to pay them a wage. And he calls out workers and they, they respond. And then they keep responding, responding. And then it gets almost to the 11th that were what, like the 12th hour It's almost, almost the very end. And it, so it's almost the very end of the whole time, which obviously is talking about the end of time in a parable. And these guys get called out and, and then God, the, the man is supposed to be God, but the man lines them up and he pays them all the same wage. And they're like, whoa, wait a minute, this isn't fair. We were working the whole time. What are you doing? And he's pretty much like, hey, man, I, you know, what's it to you, basically? Like, Job gets the same answer. You know, Job, it's pretty much like, hey, you know, how dare you allow all this evil? And God's pretty much like, you're man and I'm God. What's it to you? You know, it's like there's it might sound uncompassionate, but honestly, I don't think if God even tried to explain it, we could understand it. I really don't. I think it'd be like trying to explain physics to your cat. It's just not going to work, but <laughs> I think William's got something to say. Yeah. So this, 
the mystery between how you know God is working out this whole nation of Israel and the church, and we're not going to have two separate brides. There's only one bride. Yeah, yeah one bride. And it just makes me think of the mystery that exists between it, this idea that we're going to have a resurrected body, right? That our bodies are going to resurrect and our spirits are going to unite. And, um, and you're like, well, you know, how am I going to re receive a resurrected body after like, you know, you know, believers, if you, if you count all the millions and you know billions of believers, right. Throughout the, throughout the time, you know, bodies have gone to feed the earth and the worms have gone to feed the birds and the birds have gone to feed the lions and, you know, matters gotten dispersed and, and uh, you're like, how in the world is God going to figure all of that out? But God's going to figure it all out. He's mm. going to make it all work out in the end. And so there are a lot of mysteries, you know, that, that we just have to live with as believers for how God is going to work this thing out. Yeah. But I also wanted to just say something um, in Acts. Is that okay if I read it real quick? Yeah, go ahead. So and this is... <laughs> I think this is this is important when we think about not just um, salvation, you know, the salvation of Israel, but in, when we think about the nations, you know, coming to Christ and God's expectation for the nations. Um, so this is in Acts 17, and I'm just going to read the whole thing. If that's okay. In verse 20, picking up in verse 22, Paul he is in Athens. And he's talking to a bunch of Greeks. He's talking to a bunch of unbelievers, right? They should be pagans. And so Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed objects of, of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, hmm. nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. Mm. In him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. Now, this part is important. Verse 30, the times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, dead some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed. So my point in bringing that up is because, you know, some people ask, well, and this is actually one of the questions that came up. It's like, what about the other religions? Mm. You know, mm, what about what about the other religions and are they going to all be lost? And, you know, what's going to happen there? Well, I think we can trust 
verse 27, that, that God has placed each one in a specific place, in a specific boundary place, you could say, that they might seek after God, mm. right? So he, <clears throat> he gives to each human being on this planet, he gives them ro a roadmap. He gives them signs and symbols and, and ways to, if they're hungry, if they're seeking after God, they're going to find him. Mm. And, but ultimately, all of that is leading to Jesus Christ. Like God now, you know, he's, he's overlooked certain times of ignorance, but Jesus is the, we could say, the preeminent figure in every, in every religion. Like he is the ultimate figure that all of these signs are pointing to. Yeah. You know, he's the one who's going to come and judge the earth. He's the only one that can give eternal life. And um, anyways, there's just so much more to say about that. But <laughs> I'm not going to get into that. But yeah, yeah. as we're talking about the nation of Israel and people. And all that. You guys have any questions? <clears throat> I mean, yeah, that was. Uh... Ethan, what do you think? Uh, man, I don't know. It, 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 it's just funny. Um, there's so many relevant topics that can y'all even hear me? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool, cool. There's just so many relevant topics that tie directly into it that, I mean, you were saying something, I think a few minutes ago, Will, where, uh, you, you were basically just going right down to is the mysteries. We just have to trust that the mystery is there. It's, and I was just thinking, yeah, it's almost like you got to have faith. Right. And so like, it, <laughs> like it, it just, it just all lasers in, you know, and we've talked about topics over the past couple of weeks, um, that we've been doing this, that all tied directly into what you were just talking about, you know, the multiple religions, you know, how they have, you know, different, different gods for different aspects and how that all relates to the, um, like Nephilim and, and the other type of, you know, um, figures with, with, with like supernatural powers and whatnot. Right. And it just, and it just, it's just not mind boggling for, for someone who, who already ascribes to the belief and ha has faith and, 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 and it's, it's affirmation to a point, but it's just, it's, it's reassuring and uh, how do I want to word it? It's just reassuring to know that there is this truth that you can all, that you can all be led to, you know? And, and as our, as, as Christians and, you know, as fellow man to, to help lead others to see that, you know, as, as you were talking about earlier, Eric, the, um, the double standard being aware of it, you know, we have to make sure we're clean too. You know, we don't, we can't hold ourselves higher because that's one of the things that we talked about earlier is if we think we're the, uh, the best, you know, we talked about this during the technology talk where we were turning ourselves into our own gods, you know? Yeah. And yeah. so like, you know, when we believe that we are better than that's what we're doing and not realizing how, how we still all have to grow, no matter how well we might be doing in different walks of life, you mm -hmm. know? And so it's just, it's just always interesting when, when either, you know, I'm listening to these after if I've missed one or whatever on YouTube and um, just listening to all this stuff. And I'm like, it, it immediately connects. It immediately clicks. Like we, this is how this connects to this, you know? And so, you know, I'm, I'm just enjoying it. You know, I'm, I'm very thankful that y'all are putting this on. You know, I just can't say that enough. So. Cool. Thanks for joining. Yeah, man. It's good to, good to hear. Good to hear you. Yeah. 
yeah. and Jewel and, and Mr. Alexander, y'all feel free to jump in. Yeah, we got. I got a view on the mystery. On the which, which the one? mystery of what Paul was talking about between yeah. the Jew and the Gentile. Right. Well, I think it could. You know, it could mean. I mean, these guys were struggling with letting. Uh, other people come in and be grafted in and Paul over and over goes in and talks about being grafted in numerous times in yep. his letters. And the mystery could be that, you know, through Jesus and then by the faith where the gospel spread to all four corners of the earth, there's going to be this massive harvest, yep. you know, to where what they're seeing is just a small localized thing but the mystery could be the fullness mm. of the nations, the Goyim, Gentile means of the nations. But I believe we're not of the nations anymore. We're grafted into believing Israel. Mm. Mm. And as far as like the, the, cause to them that would be a, a huge, a big mystery <laughs> because just earlier they're struggling about, let, they're like, what are we supposed to do? Do we circumcise them right away? But that was from that circumcision party. You know, they're, they're trying to figure out what, what we do to be, to say, okay, you're saved. Yeah. You know, yeah. they're like, like now the Baptists are like, we baptized three this week. Yeah. You know, they probably had some kind of log. We circumcised three guys this week or something. You know what I mean? So that might have been part of the mystery because they're, they're so uh, thick headed. Yeah, you know, and getting around to accepting, you know, accepting your average believer, new believer into the faith. You yeah. know that that's kind of uh, my view on the the mystery that Paul's talking about, and you know, to them it would be a big yeah, yeah. I, th I think that would yeah. I think uh, I agree. To me, it's just like this ever expanding, like a you know diamond, just the, all the facets of the mystery. It's like. Because, you know, as soon as you bring up one element, then it opens up another. You're like, wait a minute. Well, yeah. that, but then this. So. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And all those promises and even the 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 bloodline Jewish uh, people that are non-believing would be like the cultivated olive tree, the branches that are cut off. Mm -hmm. I mean, because if it comes right down to it, they're not they're not even obeying the Torah because they're not mm. Shammai and the prophet. They're not obeying, listening to the prophet. Jesus yeah. clearly yeah. the prophet, you know, Messiah, savior, all yeah. that stuff. Yeah. So they're not even following what they would say they're actually following. So right. not to say they can't be mm -hmm. grafted back in. Yeah. Yeah. Because Paul says that he says, don't think that the ones, even the cultivated ones cut off, can't be grafted back in. Yeah. You know, so yeah. they can come to belief. Yeah. And my view on 1948 established Israel, I don't believe that's the nation God set up in a day because mm -hmm. in the prophecy, peace will flow like a river from mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. And anything but peace has flowed mm -hmm. like a river from that area. <laughs> mm -hmm. Do you believe so, that do you believe that peace could come? I, I think I think that's gonna be the establishment of New Jerusalem mm -hmm. that comes down and peace flows mm -hmm. like a river from it. I think that's when that that's the city. I think yeah. So city. so that <clears throat> which which I mean I, I do think I I think of that as kind of the prophetic telescoping thing that I've talked about where you see, you know, off in the distance you see the mountain range, 
And so it's like the prophecy and, oh, oh, that's it. But then the closer you get, then you realize, oh, there's another valley and then there's another mountain range. And so it actually turns out there's like two peaks. And to me, Israel, 1948, Israel becoming a nation state. Um, you know, if you if you look fast forward biblically, you're right. Like it's nothing but peace. It's going to be war because, because Zechariah says it's going to become like this heavy stone for all the nations that like it's almost like all the nations are going to get lured into hating Israel so much. Zechariah talks about it. Well, I think we're going to talk about Zechariah. He talks about it in, in like 12 through 14. Uh, Ezekiel 38, 39 talks about it, that the nations are going to be lured and led by Gog and Magog, which would be like Antichrist and the, the false prophet. But basically, they're going to be lured to surround Israel, which is also Revelation 16, you know, Revelation 19, 14, 16, 14. Uh, 1919, it's, it's this idea that the nations in Psalm 83, I think talks about it too, are, are, and Psalm two talks about this rage in the nation. So there's a point in time where the nations are so done with Israel, like it's going to be Hitler on full, you know, steroids, like we're all doing the Hitler thing. <laughs> we're going to get rid of her. And, but Israel has to exist in a geographic location for that to happen. And so to me, this, oh, I believe, yeah, yeah, there's definitely yeah. a geographical. Yeah, yeah. So, but I agree that much like, bigger that, that that the full promise right. really is, like you said, the Isaiah 66, or just that yeah. the, that hitting that point of like the the nation of peace and all of these things. There is a, but yep. to get there, there is a a Israel like like in the way that Jesus was a stumbling block for the Jews, the Jews will be a stumbling block for the nations, and in many ways has been a stumbling block for the church ironically, has become a stumbling block. And I think even the church will have to deal with as those times draw near and nations hate Israel more and more, you know, it, it's going to push the church into a stance of well, what, what am I going to do? Like, will I stand? Will I, I mean, there were, there were plenty of people who were not Jewish or they were not Christian that helped Jews in the time of Hitler. I mean, they're crazy stories. You find them all the time, you know, where they're, you know, guys who had a business or they did this or they, whatever, you know, they, they snuck people out through their truck or they, you know, but the point is that there, there's going to be a global time and it might not look the same where Christians are going to have to decide what am I going to do? Because regardless of whether they're saved or not, they're human beings. And I, I mean, I just honestly believe anytime anyone is under the gun or they become the minority, it behooves us to stand on their behalf, regardless of what they believe, you know? Um, but we know biblically that it will come down to Jews, even though, yeah, anyway, that's, we could go into another thing. So, I mean, I, but that, I think that's a good example the of the prophetic. It's just the Jews. The only thing though, is there, it just like Ezekiel talking about the two sticks is, is, mm. you know, the house, house of Israel, Israel, mm. and then the house of Judah. And I, I don't know, Jesus came through that line of Judah, rejected, ultimately crucified by him, mm -hmm. you know, but you have the house of Israel that's scattered, you know, and yeah. really, I believe in Ezekiel, he's saying that up until the end is when the two sticks are going to come together to be one in his hand. Mm -hmm. I believe that's the, mm -hmm. the, the finished product, you know, mm -hmm. part of that mystery. Yeah too, that where they come together as one. Mm. So I, I hate to even label all the covenant promises to just Jew, because 
it's a whole nother other 10 tribes that are not not being recognized by the world today mm-hmm. yeah you know whereas judah and benjamin take over everything we're jew mm. all the promises are ours you know what i mean not say i'm saying they're trying to rule the world but yeah, <laughs> and but you know it, that that's a mystery right there in itself. And and just in case you know you, you haven't noticed the the question the conversation re- surrounding Israel is a very technical. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's a very complex conversation because in the Bible they're called all of it can be called Israel. The northern can be called Israel. The southern Judah, mm-hmm. northern Ephraim. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and yeah you're right but i something i always go back to is is that you don't want to miss the forest for the trees you know that 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 there's a place where it's like yeah we got you know look in the all these details and they're fascinating but what i'm amazed at is that when when there might be discussion especially most of my engagement usually on on this topic with like replacement theologies through, through reading and that kind of thing but interacting with you know, guys that I really respect their theology, but then you get to Israel and I feel like it, it, sometimes it's like they get so technical that I'm like, man, if you just step back, I don't have to understand everything. There are some really big, you know, it's like there are some really big signposts along the way. Right. <laughs> and and uh, and to me, like I, I I get it. We can split hairs over what it really means to carry the blessing and, you know, whether they're actually saved or they're not, or if they're, you know, the 10 tribes of the, blah, 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 blah. but I'm like, it's pretty clear that God made these specific promises. He hasn't let go. It all of hell has oh, been yeah. unleashed on Israel over and over. If you just go, I, I mean, Wikipedia, I do not like it's, it's super leftist, but this is all the more reason go to, go to Wikipedia and just look at, look at the expulsions of Jews. Just oh, type yeah, that yeah. in. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I mean, you can find it anywhere, but I'm saying even Wikipedia has a, a, a you know, a clear cut and you just see from the time of 70 AD till 1948, all the nations where, where they were hunted down, oh, genocide, inquisitions, expelled from Spain, expelled from Britain, expelled from Spain again, expelled from, you know, expelled from one nation to a nation, from Poland to Hungary to, you know, wherever they, wherever they lived, they were hunted, 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 and expelled. And to me, that's one of the things where I'm like, you can't miss the forest for the trees. Like, regardless, oh, yeah. regard, and I'm not, I don't speak no, 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 no doubt. There's my my view is just that, yeah. that it's clear that there's some kind of demonic agenda and it lines up. If I look back to the patterns of Genesis one through nine, and I don't sit there and listen to these super smart guys who try to explain to me why somehow all that stopped when God set a pattern in motion, that pattern is not going to stop. It's like a, it's, it's just going to keep playing out. And just because Jesus came in the flesh and died for my sins doesn't mean that God's going to stop these promises. And in the natural, there really is this battle that's playing out and we see it in Revelation 12. So I can't, for me, I can't understand how Hitler, the genocide of the Jews, 1948, how all of that can't be part of something that God's doing. Now, do I understand it all? No, but I think there's clear biblical precedent and so I take issue when I hear a preacher or a theologian say, well, there's no difference. They're, they're just like any other nation. And, and the Israel of today is not that Israel. 
I'm like, that's that's what uh, some of these conspiracy things say. Oh, there's what, God, they're God's you know, people. They're, they're, I met a Jew the first time I met some Jews at a, at the mall. Me and my wife are just baby Christians. I said, "You're God's people. I love you." I'm like, "Wow!" But there's so many. You're Jewish. There's so many people today that will say, especially like if you get into so that conspiracy has also flowed into into Islam, which there was a huge connection with with Hitler and the Grand Mufti of Jerusalem and all that. But still, where there there's a perspective that these are basically white Europeans. They're not really the Jewish people. Then you get to the Hebrew Israelites, and they'll be saying things like, hey, you know, the real Jews, those aren't the real Jews. Those are actually like a plant, like a displacement. But the crazy thing is that these conspiracies really reach into into elite circles that you would be surprised to find out. And that's a perfect example of missing the forest for the trees. You know, it's like this, this. It, it's not hard to see this guys, you know, yeah. we, do we understand it? No, but it's definitely, it's something that I believe, like I said, is a stumble. If there's anything, it's a stumbling block. Jesus is the cornerstone. He was a stumbling stone for, for the leaders of Israel and the nations. Zechariah says become a heavy stone, basically a stumbling stone for, I mean, Israel becomes a stumbling stone for the entire nation. And, and, and I just think there's no way around that. There's no way to New Testamentize ourselves out of it. It's going to happen regardless of how new, new, new covenant you are. It's not going to, it's not going to delete the prophets. No. You can't. It, Hebrews 8, 10. It says, for this is a covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them their God, and they shall be to me my people. Amen. Beautiful. And, they, and Zechariah says, "What they're going to look? He's going to deliver. They'll look upon That's the, the one covenant. they will mourn. They will look upon the one whom they pierced, and they'll basically mourn because Jesus will return, oh, and He's going to rescue them, yeah. and they're going to be like, you're rescuing us, and we've been persecuting you the whole time.'" I mean, that's the story of Zechariah. That's what that's what Paul's intimating in is Romans he 9. Is the ones He's, that pierced him, though? Is it going to be resurrection time where the bad have been resurrected? The, the people. Not, not, I don't think. I don't no, think no, 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 no. No, like the ones that they're realizing like they're the said. ones, they're the people that they, yeah. you know, they're um, looking upon the one that whom they pierced, realizing all this time we rejected him and yeah, yeah, but and it's 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 in the context of, of Jesus of the Messiah returning right and delivering them from their enemies, which is the right. Psalm two, the Revelation, so you know coming back on the horse and he delivers them. And there's actually a moment in time where they have a revelation. And it's what he says in Psalm one eighteen is you know it, where where he says you know I won't return again until you say blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So there is a moment in time that. According to, to my understanding, prophetically, and I think Charles Spurgeon would be on board with me, if words mean anything, if you read the Old Testament, Jesus is saying there's a day coming where what where you people who live on this green earth, on this side of eternity, who call yourselves Jews, there's going to be a moment in time where you're going to realize and you with your own mouth are going to confess that I am the one who came in the name of the Lord, and then I will walk into your city. And I don't think he's going to, I don't think just because we are in the, the, you know, the, 
what this what century we're in 21st century and we're smart christians and we're you know we're western christians and we're greekized and all that i don't think that all of our smartness can make those radical promises go away i don't i don't see how you just say oh well that was just poetry i i don't i don't understand how it's gonna all work out but i mean i gotta mess with jesus on that if he says it's gonna happen it's zechariah and it sounds intense and it sounds freaky and scary but it's gonna happen it's a great and terrible day. Yeah, it's a great and terrible day. And, and I would say, you know, this conversation is, is so vitally important because it 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 um, it plays into the return of Christ. It plays into the end of the earth. You know, mm -hmm. the end of the world. And um, uh, yeah, some of the, another thing I was thinking of earlier when we were talking about faith. You know, the Jews being saved by faith. The Psalms are really the liturgy of the church. The Psalms were the you know the worship hymnals of the church uh, excuse me of israel yeah and um and you can learn a lot about what a people group believes by what they sing mm -hmm. you know, assuming that you know what you sing is essence of your faith and the psalms are really the essence of the faith and when you look at the psalms over and over again it is telling you to trust in the name of the lord mm -hmm. and you know you can you can take that word trust and just simply replace it with faith Mm -hmm. But I actually like replacing faith with trust. I feel like trust, it, we can understand it a little better there. Um, and it's just, so it's, there's no surprise to me, mm. you know, that, that, you know, Jesus would rebuild the, tent, the tabernacle of David, you mm. know, that through, through that, that's, that's how the Gentiles come into mm. Christ, come into Israel through faith, mm. just as, you know, they were singing in the days of David, you know, just as the liturgy, the worship rebuilds. So I don't know if that made that's, sense. That, that does. I know. Yeah. I, mean, I see what you're going where that, where you're going with that. That's yeah. Good. So, so basically yeah, worship or liturgy <laughs> rebuilds the essence of our theology. Oh, the worship. Yeah. Man, that makes me think of a good lesson. Uh, <laughs> there's a theologian. I think it was actually Alec Motier, the one that I mentioned with Isaiah, but um, where he said that, when when the hymn books or basically it's what you're saying like yeah. the music uh, you know of the church when it becomes when it when it becomes the possession of the church you know when it becomes when it when what is it no when theology becomes the music of the church then it becomes the possession of the church so basically like when mm. you get that theology out of a book and into the hymns and into the mouths and the songs of the people that's when the people possess it yeah and i'm like that is really That's, good. I was trying to like remember, but but it's it's radical because yeah. it's one thing to to believe this, but for it to be our possession mm -hmm. is a completely different thing to actually um, let it consume us. Yeah. Now, and not to be disrespectful to anybody, <laughs> but I was I was listening to a podcast. They were talking about I think it was an article written by the New York Times, and the they were reporting on the christian music industry oh, and there was actually this on albert moeller um they reported on the christian music industry and they were talking about this one artist he's an lgbtq artist mm -hmm. who identifies as christian and apparently has been at the top of the christian charts or whatever for some time now and um and they were talking about how this well this particular journalist with the New York Times was interviewing different Christian artists. And the artists were saying that, hey, you know, many of us, you know, within the Christian art music, worship music movement, many of us believe 
um, you know, in LGBTQ, you know, were LGBTQ affirmative. So, mm -hmm. you know, we believe that they should be a part of the church and, and the whole deal. Uh, but we just can't come out and say it outright because, um, you know, we, we're going to lose our funding, we're going to lose our place, you know, so we're from the inside, we're trying to change things. And, um, and so they're just talking about how many Christian artists have moved in that direction. And so I simultaneously, what was that? I, I'll, I'll, I'll give you some afterwards here. Um, Switchfoot would be Switchfoot would be one of them, Lauren Daigle, others. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, uh, I've heard that. But simultaneously, I also saw an interview that was on Unbelievable, where they were asking the question, discussing why are so many Christian artists leaving the faith? Yeah. And so some Andrea's like, this isn't really hard for me to, to swallow or believe because when you're singing, when your singing is so theologically weak, it's only, it's like, it's natural for the next step to be universalism or all inclusion, you know, mm -hmm. for you to just not have any theological boundaries, you know, or borderlines and just, you know, everything can come in because you don't really have a theological um, parameter, right? And um, and so it, when your theology is weak, you can just, you know, from one, you know, go from singing about the love of God one day to, you know, to, uh, I guess, agnosticism the next. And I don't mean to make it, you know, seem that shallow and that, that easy, but, there is something about beholding the holiness of the Lord, mm. seeing the beauty of Jesus, right? There's something about standing in his temple and inquiring of him and really encountering the presence of the Lord. And then from there, writing worship, there's, there's a real big difference in that. So I, I, I'm going on too long here, but I've, I've heard over and over again, Christian, you know, Christian artists on popular radio say, I was writing this in a really hard season of my life. And I understand like a lot of music comes out of kind of those hard seasons where we're dealing with depression and things like that. But what I never hear are artists saying, I wrote this while standing in the presence of the Lord and beholding the beauty of the Lord. Mm. I don't ever hear that mm -hmm. when I'm hearing, you know, about how the song came about. And, um, and I think that's telling. I think that there is, there is this connection between holding the Lord and his beautiness and the perseverance of our faith. Um, so there's yeah. a connection between yeah, I mean, and like how we live. David's David, that's what he said, you know, like over and over and over in his Psalms, like he was beholding the beauty of the Lord. And that was thousands of years ago. And we're still singing his songs. Worship leaders take his songs and like, you know, re- kind of change it up but still basically take his verses and these guys their songs won't be remembered remembered after tomorrow right I, i'll never forget i saw an interview with uh lecrae and he was like they were like oh you're a christian rapper are we not supposed to say names but oh yeah and he's like oh i'm just a rapper that's a christian i'm not a christian rapper and then i saw an interview with Kanye West. Okay, you know, I'm not saying Kanye West is you know great or anything, but he went to a spell where he's like doing like Christian rap. And they said, Are Still you is, a, yeah. are you a Christian rapper? And this was like on some uh uh late night show or whatever. He said, 
I'm a Christian everything. <laughs> so, I yeah. mean, this guy, Young, and I would consider him a super baby in the faith. We would pray for him and pray for everybody. Versus this guy that's been a Christian his whole life and, and raised up through church. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Coming, you know, Lecrae's been in that industry for a long time. And for him to say that, oh, I'm just an artist that is a Christian. And then this guy, Young in the faith baby in the faith yes yeah. i'm a christian everything <laughs> what do you mean you know what i mean so it's it, that blew my mind so i have i have stopped listening to a lot of of different i test the spirit before i dabble with it you know like the word yeah i actually stopped listening to lecrae after he gave several very in my mind controversial interviews that were just completely flew in the face of what he was trying to represent in the audience he was trying to garner um, I've been writing notes this whole time trying to figure out when I can jump in, but I think like right now, um, and not, not just specifically now, but with music, you know, uh, with society, uh, especially with Christian music, I think there's a disconnect between love and acceptance and condoning action. You know, there, you can, you can love and accept a person for who they are, no matter what they have as an attribute to them. But that doesn't necessarily mean you condone it. You can yeah. accept a person for all their faults as yep. long as you know that that is what that is. And I think that's a tenement that we we all have to abide by. You know, I'm never going to shun anybody away for their race, religion or creed, whatever. I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to accept them all. I'm going to try and lead them to the water, you know, because I'm still a baby in my faith. And I think I forever will be. Um, I don't think there's anything that we'll ever be able to do as as. <laughs> humans that will allow us to be at at that level of oh i'm not a baby anymore i understand it all i don't think we'll ever be there you know and uh so i wrote down a couple notes real quick so i just want to i just want to get it out there um because i'm not i'm not i'm not a smart guy by any means um so, (laughs) so one of the things i just wanted to chime in earlier was uh, well, I'm a, I'm gonna hold off on saying that about Eric, you know, but, oh. uh, <laughs> uh, but, uh, trying not to be reductive, but, um, the whole forest through the three trees analogy, I think that's applicable to everything. And that has a lot to do with the, the faith conversations that we've been having. And, but mm-hmm. I think, you know, uh, it, it directly applies to what we were talking about with Christians and Judaism being, it's not going to be two lands of the people, you know, and God it's, we're going to be grafted back in you know, in the same way that all of this religion, everything can, it's all grafted back in. And, and when you look at the graphs on the vine, it still has a singular origin point. So it doesn't matter where we are. It doesn't matter how, where the land is. I mean, for this context, we can say it does, but I don't think it necessarily matters what pinpoint spot in Israel is the land of, you know, it's, it's, it's going to come to a singularity where it's going to matter. And so, understanding the stumbling blocks but don't let them be your concern as long as you have the faith you can navigate the forest you need to be aware of the trees but don't let that don't let that give you pause don't let that question your faith you know be aware of them but have the faith to go through the forest you know um and it's funny i I forgot what exactly we were talking about but Oh, it was Will. Will, when you were trying to use um, trust versus faith, you know, one of the things that I've been hearing a lot, and I'm sure y'all have too, is trust the science. You know, you got to trust the science. <laughs> you know what I mean? A lot of people, a lot of a lot of my uh, 
my my pastor friends um uh, my my people who are who are definitely more um educated in religion than me um they've been pointing out that this is creating a different type of religion you know a a it's no longer trusting the science it's having faith in the science and no. my personal belief which might not be just mine i think a lot of people might feel this way is i don't i believe that science is the understanding of god's works i think that's our way to try and figure out how good god does what he does and no matter how much science will be able to nail down we'll never get it all you know because we want to understand what this mystery is right we all want to solve it but we never will and that's why i think having faith is more important than just trust and i'm not i'm not against having you know trust and faith but i think i think there is a distinction that we should probably apply to to certain topics you know um but i think yeah i think i burned through all my notes <laughs> so good, yeah that's yeah. good yeah. Yeah. definitely good observation on on the timeliness of that particular word which obviously i don't i don't think it's the same application but it, it is something to be mindful of right at, yeah. because it's it's contextually like that is what people are hearing right and, and that's so once again they're starting the, to create a, a, a definitely an alter understanding of what reception yeah what the hebrew understanding of trust is right yeah so, and i think that directly is like i said all this stuff is just clicking the more we talk and discuss it right yeah. is i think that topic right there is one of the stumbling blocks that we need to be aware of when we're navigating that's one of the trees we need to be aware of in the forest but we can still trust and we or we can still have faith that yeah. that he will get us through you know what i mean and so like that, that's what i'm talking about like there's just so many things that are just interconnected that if we if we just you know step back and have faith in them then we then we can let it go and we can and we can proceed and we can you know take yeah. it as a collective you know good that's good man thanks for sharing that that's really it's beautiful yeah <laughs> their science and their scientism that's right <laughs> and I agree, I agree with your your definition of science that's how i feel is like it's it's discovering god's world man i mean it's yeah. searching it out it's the uh, yeah it sure sure we thing. know yeah, yeah we know what makes a rainbow right we know that it's light reflecting off water droplets and creating a, a refracting the visible light spectrum but we can't do that <laughs> you, you know you what i mean inside, you can't make a rainbow you need two sources you need a mirror and water yeah but but as as a person we can't do that yeah right right <laughs> you that's know a sign I mean? of the covenant there you Come go on. yeah yeah oh. no i know it's part of they part of why I used it. <laughs> we're making the rainbow back <laughs> oh man okay. well you had said something earlier ethan about um how did you word it? it was, there's a difference between condoning and how'd you say it? Uh, what I have written is there's, you know, love and acceptance versus condoning. Yeah. That's what I have written down. Yeah. So it just made me think of, you know, when you start sharing the gospel with people, when you, you know, you really start branching out and you start talking to people about Jesus you, you begin to run into all kinds of different ideas and different beliefs and walks of, of life, right? And in order to love people, as the scriptures tell us to love people, it's, you know, it's, I'm, I don't want to just love my neighbor by 
giving, you know, cooking food for them until they die. Like that's fine. Mm -hmm. But I also want to love them with my words and I want to love them more specifically with God's words. Right. Mm -hmm. And which is the gospel, which is the good news that Jesus Christ came and died for us to give us eternal life and to save us from, um, from a life without him and, uh, from hell. (laughs) And, uh, so I'm just, th- I'm thinking of that and I'm thinking love, love has boundaries, right? Mm-hmm. Like love actually is, yeah. needs, has to be defined. And this world just has its own, has re- completely redefined what love looks like. Yeah. And it yeah. has to be defined. It's going to be defined, you know, with whatever cultural trend there is, or it can be defined by the word of God. Yeah. And that's how I prefer to define it. And I think I think that's uh, uh, I'm trying to work uh, figure out how how I've heard it applied, but you know it's like I listen to I listen to podcasts with comedians a lot, and one of the things that they always every single one has always come back to is if it's if it's true then it can be funny. Meaning if you have to lie about an experience, if you have to lie to create this event then it's not funny because there's no kernel of universal truth in it, you know? Mm -hmm. And so when you can then create definitions of love, depending on what the cultural norms of the day are, what's the truth then? If it's, if it's ever changing, then there's no, there's no singularity for that, you know? And so like with the word of God, that's the truth, right? And you can, and you can, and you can apply that. Okay. Does this, does, is, is this what, is this what the Bible tells us? Or or is this what, you know, is being, you know, uh, taught to us? If it's not, I I, I just move on, you know, know? just love thy neighbor. But if it's not in the book, (laughs) so. Yeah. It's good. It's good. I like, yeah, I was told just uh, hate the sin, love the person. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I mean, some people have a lifestyle of sin, though, and Bible says some sins lead to to death. Or uh, well, it's, some it's, some were, would. And it's like it's like what William's saying. I mean, there's there there's in That's any a, relationship there's a level of boundaries, but we can be respectful to people, mm-hmm. loving, you know, kind. The, these these and, and reaching out now now like if yeah like if you're maybe it's somebody who. Like you're saying, it's just constantly like way over the edge. I mean, there's only there's only so much fellowship we can have. So if it's if it's like, you know, yeah, five, 10 years, five, 10 years, it's like, hey, you know, I'm there for you. But I mean, Mm -hmm. we can't you know, we can't no matter how much goodwill we apply to anything we can't do. We can't. We're not the one who answers for them. We're not the one who places judgment. So yep. it doesn't matter how much goodwill we place. I think we should always try to do the best that we can, yes. you know, for our fellow man. But in the end, we have to realize that their sins are theirs. We can only try to help them yep. in whatever amount we can. It's not our responsibility to save everybody, right. but you know, we should always, we should always be open and be willing to talk if they if they want to listen. For sure, yeah, and for sure. I they should know it's by our fruit. Right, right, boss, yeah. and, and and the fruit of the spirit, I would say, and then they should see that on us and want that for themselves, and then exactly what should draw them to a relationship with the Father and the Son. So, yeah, 
I mean, that's what did it for me. And I was thinking, I mean, this is a little bit different, but you were talking about the boundaries, you know, love has boundaries and, but the culture has, it's like a, it's like, there's no boundary with love, right? It's just kind of this free for all. And it was whenever the fireplace behind us, you know, and it's like, you know, love is, is, is like a fire, man. But a fire, like if it's placed in a fireplace, you know, it can be such an amazing thing. You can get a huge fireball and, or you can like have a huge bonfire, but there's still a boundary, right. And you can enjoy it. But if you just like, let it spread no boundary it's the same it's love but it's just everywhere it's just going to destroy everything right yeah and so it's like the boundaries actually are by god are loving because you know that actually allows us to enjoy the thing that he's giving us so it's Mm -hmm. yeah amen Amen. but yeah i think i think we're gonna yeah we're gonna have to we're gonna have to cut it out oh it's all it's 9 (laughs) 47 We're past Eric's bedtime. We have we have two more two more weeks. Two more meetings. Out. Yeah. But I uh, mean it was it was good. It was good seeing y'all. Yeah. I'm gonna good. head out. This was fun. It was good. I like the uh I like the conversation, y'all. Yeah. 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 So. I enjoyed it. Thank you. I uh, much love. Sister. <laughs> yeah. Uh, hey, is that the day you had a bunch of guns in the background? Or is that those are swords? Those are swords. All right, y'all. I, yeah, yeah, I, I like it, brother. <laughs> hey, Jesus said, if you ain't got a sword, sell your robe. <laughs> Buy some I know you were joking about it being past your bedtime, but it's definitely past mine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, y'all. All right. I, I love y'all. All right.